Bel Air, Merry Christmas. So great to see all of you. I know some of you perhaps are even listening online on the recording of this, and it's July, and you're like, well, Merry Christmas, it's July. It's the odd thing of technology that, yes, we have this live moment, but we record these services so people can listen afterwards. So wherever you are in the midst of the year or in the midst of that spectrum that Reverend Dr. Bob Paul moment, mentioned a moment ago, our prayer for you is that God would meet us in this place in a very powerful way. We're in the fourth week of a four-week series, so we're coming to home plate here as we understand how God has come to dwell with us. And that first week, we took a look at how the Son of God came to dwell with us. And the second week, we took a look at how the Savior of the world came to dwell with us. Last week and the third week, we took a look at how the King of Kings has come to dwell with us. And this, the final fourth week in this Advent series, we'll take a look through the Gospel according to John, how the Creator of the cosmos has come to dwell with us. Powerful, life-changing truths that we will just get to the edge of this morning. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you open those up? In fact, it's in the pew in front of you. Those red books in front of you are our pew Bibles. You can turn to the Gospel according to John. That's on page 862. And if those of you who are listening online or streaming it is the New Revised Standard Version of which we are reading through this morning, and the Gospel according to John rounds out our series as we've seen how God comes to dwell with us. And as John writes, in some ways you can make the claim that John is one of the disciples of Jesus. Yes, there were 12 disciples, but there was also three who were kind of closer to Jesus, Peter, James, and John, and some argue that John was the best friend of Jesus. We know that Jesus was... John's best friend, but John was the one who referred to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. And so he writes this. He's a very unique perspective to talk about this creator who has come to dwell with us. So hear these words, powerful words from the Gospel according to John, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light, the true light, which enlightens everyone who was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as of a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. John testified to Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me, because He was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made Him known. This, my friends, is God's Word. Would you allow me to pray for us? Uh, Every time I step to this chapter in Scripture, I think, God, how on earth can human language describe the indescribable? So I need help. I think we need help as we turn to God to give us illumination as we turn to this passage. Would you allow me to pray for us? God, as we heard these words of life and of light, I pray that your Spirit would illuminate our hearts, that the words that we hear today aren't just an exercise in thought, but they penetrate deep into our hearts and our minds and our decisions in the very core of who we are. May we be changed by the power of your word. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Now, of course, this was written thousands of years ago, so we do have to define some terms. In fact, many people, when they look at this, get a little confused because we see right in the beginning in chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word is capitalized with a capital W. What is this all about? So we have to define terms to understand what John, the best friend of Jesus, is talking about. In fact, in the first century, there was this great philosophical debate among Greek philosophers. And the debate in many ways is still a debate that happens today, and the debate revolved around this question, what is life? Why do we exist? Why are we here? Is there any purpose to this life? You see, how we answer that question changes everything about how we live, how we see ourselves, how we see one another, how we will act or make decisions in life, how we answer that that very foundational question, why are we here? What is life all about? Changes everything. And the word that the ancient Greeks would give towards the reason for our existence was the word logos. Let me hear you say logos. Logos. Now, I've got some friends who think it's logos, like a Nike logo or an Adidas logo. That's how you pronounce it, but logos or even logos. There's different ways to pronounce it, but that is a reminder here. This ancient philosophical debate, which I think is very relevant for us today. Why are we here? And so typically in the first century, they would debate and everybody had different views as to why we're here, why we have a logos of this life. And in many ways, it's true for not just life, but also things. In fact, I have before me in front of you this, and if you're listening online, this is a piece of, I believe, aluminum and glass and a variety of things. In some ways, you could say it's a paperweight. This phone here is a paperweight. It is. It's truly a paperweight. I can put it on a piece of paper. If there's wind in the room, it'll keep it from blowing away. But many of you would say, no, no, no. If Steve Jobs walked in, the creator of the iPhone, if he was able to, you know, come forth from the dead and walk in this room, the creator of this, he would say, what? It's not a paperweight. This changed everything. This is the iPhone, right? As the creator of the iPhone, he would say that I misunderstood the Logos of this thing in which I hold in my hand. And in so many ways, there's different things in our life that we have that if we misunderstand the reason for its existence, not only will we actually enjoy what it was intended to be designed for, but we'll totally miss out on the point of why it's here. Now, these philosophers say, beyond just things, our life. Our life has a 
logos. Our life has a reason. And yet imagine some of us feel like our existence is more like a paperweight sort of existence. And we wonder, why, why am I here? Why didn't I get that job? Why am I still not yet married? Why did she leave me? Why did he say those things? Why have I not arrived like my friends have? What is the logos of my life? It's a great question. It changes everything. And John, in the midst of that first century debate about the logos of the universe, why we're here, actually speaks into it and says, in the beginning was the logos. And all of a sudden, in a first century context, people's ears would perk up because typically a logos, the reason for our existence, was just a philosophical idea. It was a set of principles. It was a way of life. But John is saying, no, 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 it's not a principle. It's a person. You see, in the beginning was the Word. little hint, he's talking about Jesus. And John, the best friend of Jesus, says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word, the reason for life, the reason for existence was with God. What a powerful word. In our English language, just four letters, the word with. Again, he's talking about Jesus. He is saying that the Son of God who came to dwell among us, who was born in a manger that we celebrate, we sing Christmas carols about, that old holy night that we sing about, has actually existed for all of eternity with God. And John goes on, once you open up those Bibles, I want you to see this for your own eyes. I'm not making this up. If you have those Bibles, open them back up again. This is chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, the reason for our existence, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things, verse 3, all things came into being through Him, and without Him not one thing came into being. This is talking about Jesus. This is where my mind just explodes. This is why I have to pray before I preach this message, because I am so humbled at even trying to describe what is so indescribable that all the things that we see in this cosmos was created by Jesus. Now, some of you are hearing this for the first time, and you're like, what? I thought he was born 2,000 years ago. I mean, I'm not even sure, like, if he even did exist. I thought he was just a teacher. You're saying that, like, sunrises were created by Jesus? Yes, that is what I'm saying. You see, in Genesis 1, in John 1, in Colossians 1, in Hebrews 1, in fact, all of Scripture speaks to this truth that John has to reiterate two sides of the same coin. Look again at verse 3. All things came into being through Him. All things. All things. Every single thing. All things. And then he flips the coin over and he says this, and without Him not one thing came into being. He's trying to make a point. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. It's very rare in California, but I remember there was this one time I was in Colorado in the midst of this storm. And when I say storm, I don't want you to think that there was wind. In fact, it was completely still. But the snowflakes that were falling down were like the size of Hostess Donuts. I mean, they were gigantic, just slowly floating down all around me onto this layer, this blanket of glistening white. It was so quiet 
that the sound of the snowflakes hitting the ground was deafening. And I imagine some of you have never experienced it, but I'm telling you, it was the loudest thing that I've ever not heard. There was this moment, I remember, in the Pacific Ocean down in San Clemente. I was out surfing with some friends, and it was a beautiful day. It was gorgeous. And all of a sudden, I see this huge ripple of water in front of me, and this huge, all of a sudden, just energy is moving towards me. It's not a swell. I'm praying, please don't be a shark. But it's actually a pod of dolphins coming right for me. I'm like, I'm going to die. I can't believe this. I'm going to get killed by Flipper. This is awful. Coming at me, right? They're coming at me full steam. And right as they're about to come before me, they, they fly right by me underwater. I remember standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon looking over this great expanse. I remember standing in the meadow of Yosemite looking around me at this great thing. I've actually been up in the mountains away from city lights seeing a comet come flying across the sky. Maybe some of you have actually seen a flower begin to bloom. Some of you perhaps have seen a butterfly take its first flight. Maybe some of you have actually witnessed the birth of a child. You see, John says that all things were created through Him. There's moments at at Christmas where I've experienced in years past where I'll open up a gift and the giver will be like, you like it, you like it? Yeah. What is it? (laughs) Have you ever had any show of hands? Have you ever had that? Am I not the only one where we we want to know, okay, what is this thing, Right? Well, the giver of a gift typically knows what it is, but even more than the giver of the gift is the creator of a certain product. Remember I talked earlier about how, yes, I could call this a paperweight, but Steve Jobs, the creator of the iPhone, if he could tell us really what it was all about, he would have the greatest authority to tell us. I remember in college I had a a literary class, and it's so sad, I I missed out on that season. I, I just thought it was so boring, sadly. I must have been too immature at the time, but we're reading Tennyson and reading Shakespeare and we're reading, you know, short poems and sonnets and great literary pieces. And I remember as, as a student, we'd sit in that classroom and we would debate the meaning, the logos of the poem. And every single one of us would have a different opinion. Every single one of us would have a different perspective. But really, it was this exercise in futility because we were not the author of those poems. We were not the author of those sonnets or literary works. So imagine what would happen if Shakespeare himself walked into the room and said, oh, sit down, class. Let me tell you what I as the author meant when I wrote this. You see, part of understanding that Jesus is the Logos, the reason for our existence, means that Jesus then becomes our guide. And for a guide to be a good guide, to lead us to true life, to everlasting life, to abundant life, that guide has to have authority. If I wanted to go see the Eiffel Tower and if I hopped into a cab and I said, show me the Eiffel Tower, and the person says, oh, I can show you where it is, and all of a sudden if I ended up in Albuquerque, I would realize that this guide isn't very good. But if actually the creator of the Eiffel Tower, if somehow they could come back from time and and, and show me and talk to me through all those things, or if I could sit down with Christopher Nolan and say, okay, the end of inception, does the the thing, does 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 it topple over, it wobbles, what did you mean by that? 
If I could sit down with George Lucas and say, okay, that one moment in the new hope, what did you mean by that? If I could sit down with Tchaikovsky and say, okay, in that overture, there was that movement, what did you mean by that? They would have the authority to give me the true answer. And what John is saying is simply this, that the creator of the cosmos, the author of our existence, has walked into the classroom and said, this is why I made you. You see, the author of the cosmos is also the author of your life. And I imagine some of you are like me where we ask the question, why am I here? What is the, the meaning of life? What's my purpose? Really, there's only one who has the authority, and that's the author of our lives. Again, authority and author come from the same root word. And so if you want purpose, if you want meaning, if you want significance, if you want to know why in the midst of whatever you're going through, in the midst of a job loss, in the midst of a disease of a loved one, in the midst of a longing that has not yet been met, there is only one who can step into our lives, step into the classroom and say, this is why. And you have a choice. You can either be the kid in the classroom like me debating, no, 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 no. this is what I really think it is. Or you can listen to the author of all of life. Throughout all of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, God is revealing God's self to us in so many intimate, tremendous, indescribable ways. But part of Jesus being the Logos, the reason for our existence, part of Him being the guide that can truly show us, can truly lead us to life everlasting, there's that truth that He is our guide, but also He is our goal. And those are the two ideas that I want us to walk away with, that Jesus, on one hand, is our guide, but even more than that, He has to be our goal. It's so easy to miss the second half of that truth. We like Jesus as a guide. We'll say, okay, Jesus, how can I follow you? How can I put into practice your way of life? All the while, aiming for our own goal. Jesus, guide me to what I want. Jesus, lead me to my dreams. And so we get so frustrated with Jesus as a guide if we keep aiming at our own goals. And we think, what kind of guide is he when he can't get me to where I want to go? But John is saying, no, 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 no. To truly experience this life and life abundant that my best friend Jesus, John says, has come to give you, he has to be your guide and he has to be your goal. Well, what is the goal? Where is Jesus leading us to? He's leading us to himself. And if we could just grasp that truth, it gives us a foundation, it gives us an anchor, it gives us a hope that nothing can shake. You see, John uses the word life to refer to Jesus more than Matthew, Mark, and Luke combined. And Jesus is a guide unlike any other guide because other spiritual guides, other philosophical guides will say, follow me, I will show you the truth. Follow me, I will lead you to the truth. They come to point us to the truth, but Jesus says, come follow me and I will lead you 
to me. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I have come to give you life and life abundant, and he offers himself. So no matter your job status, no matter your Facebook status, no matter your relationship status, no matter your financial status, no matter your your health status, if you acknowledge that Jesus is both your guide and your goal, you can have that. You can have Him. You can have all of that, life abundant. And everything else is just the backdrop of that dynamic relationship being played out. There is no words that somebody can speak to you. There is no boss that can ever fire you in a way that would cause you to lose that. Do you realize how much this would change your life if Jesus was both your guide and your goal? Not just your guide, but your guide and your goal. Open those Bibles back up. Let's read this again with that that background information. Page 862. In the beginning was Jesus. In the beginning was the reason for our existence. In the beginning was our guide and our goal. And Jesus and the Word, the reason for our existence, the purpose for our existence was with God. And the Word, Jesus, was God. He was in the beginning with God all things, snowflakes, and stars and us came into being through him and without him not one of us not one thing in all of creation came into being what has come into being in him was life and the life was the light of all people the light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own. This is his own. And he came into it. And his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God who were born not of blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. And the Word and Jesus, the creator of the cosmos, stepped into creation and became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory. The glory is of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me, because he was long before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God the only Son who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. Shakespeare has stepped in the classroom. Christopher Nolan has walked in the room. Steve Jobs is sitting with us. 
the creator of the cosmos, has come to tell you that you are his masterpiece. You are much more than a paperweight. You are much more than one who just takes up space, who just breathes oxygen and expends carbon dioxide. You have a purpose, and it is beautiful. And Jesus steps into the reality of your life and the messiness of it and says, will you allow me to be your guide and your goal? What a thought. We have access to God through Christ. And because of that, it's got to change how we live. In fact, I've shared with many of you that my desire for us as we turn the corners, we turn the, the calendar you know, the kitten calendar as we go to, you know, January 2015 or whatever calendar you have in your office, that as we go into this new year, that we would become a church that doesn't just pray among many other things, but that we would be a praying church. That everything we do, the decisions that we make in our coming and going, in our, in our, in our jobs, even on vacation, that we would be in connection with, that we would be interacting with, that we don't have to close our eyes or be on our knees or, or be in a group of people, that we would be prayerful, that we would be interacting with God in all that we do. And so part of helping us do that, part of us becoming a praying church is in some ways putting on the training wheels, in some ways is kind of taking baby steps. And so one of the things that we're going to do in 2015 is to cover the entire year in prayer. I can't do that on my own, right? I cannot do that on my own. Our staff can't do that on our own. In fact, it's going to take all of us to cover the entire year in prayer. And so what I want us to do is I want us to pull out some paperweights. Some of you might have them in your pocket. You might have them in your uh, purse. Some of you might say, oh, wow, we can use our phones in church. And some of you are like, are you kidding? I use my phone all the time in church, you know, checking the scores and making reservations, right? So pull these out. We're going to go a little beyond this being a paperweight. And there's a way for us and actually to be part of this amazing journey in 2015 to run this marathon together to cover the entire year in prayer. And I've got a screen that's coming up. If you were to text prayer to that number, no, it's not my cell phone. But if you were to text prayer to that, you would immediately receive a very short word of encouragement, a welcome, and a link And if you were to open up that link on your phone, you can do this right now. I'm giving you permission in church. Play with your phones. You can do it, all right? If you were to do that right now and you receive that link, you can actually register for and sign up for one hour a week for all of 2015 so that within that hour, let's say you choose 7 a.m. on Mondays, the 7 o'clock hour, you would choose at at least 15 minutes of that hour block to spend in prayer. Some of you might say, 15 minutes is a long time. I know. I know. I'm a person that prays. I'm not a praying person, so I've got to grow this year, so grow with me, okay? And so what we're going to do is if you text that and if you were to receive that link, if you were to register, you can choose even to receive text notifications that remind you of whatever the prayer topic is of that week. It will send you to a website even that gives you resources, books to encourage you on how to pray. You'll be part of a growing community that will pray in 2015. And some of you are like, I don't use cell phones in church, Pastor. Or you might say, I don't have a cell phone, but don't tell anybody. It's okay. There's a physical way to sign up. You don't have to have cell phones to sign up. In fact, as you were to leave today, if you're listening online, 
If you're online, you can go right to our website. It's prayer.belairpress.org. Or you can go right outside in our lobby, right out there in the narthex, and there's actually a physical calendar that you can see names of people who have already signed up. I mean, there's people like 3 a.m. Crazy, right? You can, and there's a team there that will help you register very simply. You give that to them, and you'll take a little post-it note and put your name on it and put it up on the calendar with your time just so we can visually see this growing community that will engage in prayer for all of 2015. That, that display is going to stay up for the entire year, for all of 2015. I imagine somebody will be here a year from now on December 20th or December 22nd. I don't know what the Sunday is, the last Sunday before Christmas in 2015, but somebody will join the church for the first time, attend here for the first time, and that will capture their heart. And they will join in the last week of 2015 in prayer. But why don't we start off the year well? As we collectively become a praying people, as we are a praying church, as we follow Jesus, the guide and goal of our life, we have to be in communion with Him. What a tremendous time in the life of this church. I believe in the power of prayer. From God's perspective, every time you engage in prayer for this church family, what God wants to do in and through this church, you are as indispensable to what God is doing through this church as I am. You don't have to have a title. You don't have to have a doctorate. You don't have to be ordained. You just have to have a heart that's willing and empty and open to be used and filled up by God. In the beginning was Jesus, and He has come to give us life. Will you pray with me? God, words cannot express the power and majesty and glory that it would take to speak the cosmos, all of creation, into existence. And yet you, the Word of God, have come to dwell with us. You have come to reveal God's self to us, Jesus. May we turn to you as our guide, as our goal, and in you find life and life to the full. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.